0: Hi folks, welcome to the Coastal Advocacy Adventures Podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Gary Glick with Friends of RGV Reef. RGV Reef is located about 12 miles off the South Padre Island jetties. It's in state waters, and it's the largest permanent reef site, certainly in Texas and in the United States, possibly the world. Now, Gary is with the Friends of RGV Reef, and they, they raise funds to, to do reef deployments. They have numerous, numerous partners, Texas Parks and Wildlife, of course us, the Coastal Conservation Association, Port of Brownsville, Building Conservation Trust, the City of South Padre Island, Dr. Richard Klein, the Heart Research Institute, Little Mo with, with uh, Thomas Hilton and, and Atlantis Marine, too numerous to mention, but if you want to learn more about the RGV Reef, certainly listen to the rest of this podcast, and then go to their website, rgvreef.com, and you can learn more about this site. They've done research on this reef to determine the carrying capacity, and from 2017 to 2019, they determined that nearly 250,000 red snapper were raised on this reef from the juvenile stage all the way to adulthood. This reef serves as a feeder reef, to other parts of the gulf coast so fish are leaving this reef and traveling up the coast so this reef is, is really important to the red snapper fishery in texas and also other other reef fish amberjack triggerfish vermilion snapper anything that, that needs structure on the bottom of the uh, ocean is this is important for um for food and for refuge and for uh, multiple stages of their these fish's life cycle so hope you enjoyed the podcast and um thanks for listening hi folks welcome to the podcast in Austin Texas got to come up here for a commission meeting and mr. Gary Glick was kind enough to 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 meet me in this uh, very cozy space at the uh, hotel here in Austin near the airport and Gary Glick is with friends of RGV reef and uh, good afternoon Gary thanks for joining the podcast
1: hi I'm happy to be here
0: so let's let's jump in let's start with introductions and uh, give the listeners a little taste of of, of who gary is and and how he got to be um one of the leaders in reefing off the coast of Texas,
1: well, I was smart enough to get the job done and stupid enough to volunteer <laughs> <laughs> the uh, but people probably don't know what r g v reef is and so r g v reef is the permitted reef site that friends of r g v reef pestered parks and wildlife to permit down in south. Texas, about 13 miles north of the South Padre Island jetties. And as we were getting that permitting, you know, deep South Texas is the first abandoned, the first, the last funded, the first ignored. And so we knew that we had to do everything perfect, including chumming up a lot of stakeholders. One of the stakeholders was a marine biologist. And we got really lucky that we got, we did not get a guy that, um, I count sardine skeletons and penguin poop in Patagonia. We did not get that guy. We got a guy that had seen the same stuff that we'd seen. And, you know, the founders of RGV Reef were a bunch of old salts that had been around forever and seen it all and fished it all and scuba dove it all. And he saw the piece. He saw the same stuff that we'd seen and noticed the piece that we'd missed, which is particularly for Red Snapper, where are the babies? Well, the babies aren't on the high relief reef that we were used to diving and fishing on they're off in the flats on a small low uh structure if they can find it most of the time they're just trapped out on the flats Mm prey for all these straight line predators and he turned us on to the idea of generating a nursery reef cca was helping us with the permitting they immediately understood the concept that the habitat was what counted and that we could if we did it right generate more fish they promised to uh, fund us and uh Also, additional praise for Texas Parks and Wildlife Artificial Reefing Program, Dale Shively, he went to bat for a large enough reef that we could generate that diffuse structure that wasn't covered over with large predators that would allow us to put more fish back into the Gulf. And so that was was 2015. We got our permit in 2016. And uh, we've put a couple of 60-foot steel-hulled vessels down, 67,000 cinder blocks in a nursery reef that, um, and another about 3,500 tons of material in 17. That was occupied immediately occupied by about 240,000 juvenile reef fish, primarily red snapper babies. The you know, the, the, the demand for this habitat, because it means life and death, is is huge in that area. And our area has the, the densest number of juvenile snapper in the Gulf of Mexico, according to CMAP data. And so those fish then have been growing, and now they're of uh, takeable size. They're 16 inches and up, and, and they're about 80% of the takeoff RGV reef. We put another 7,000 tons of broken concrete in RGV reef in... Um, late 18 and early 19 and we have been gathering concrete railroad ties for our upcoming deployment since late uh early 19 so that's what our gv reef is it's the
0: the the total reef site is is the permanent site 1600 acres 1650
1: acres that's right
0: 650 so how many how many you're throwing out numbers and, and and tonnage of of structure put out there. How many acres are currently
1: um, reefed, approximately? Do okay, you, we- so the best marine practice. If you talk, we're like I don't I don't understand this piece of it. I don't understand why. I hesitate to say that reef people that are doing reefing aren't talking to the marine biologists but it seems to me like they're not because the way material is is usually utilized is in a big one big pile and that's not the way you get the most bang for the buck if you've got 4000 for example round culverts to put down you don't put them in one pile you make right. you make multiple small piles and so best marine biology practice is diffuse patch reefs with with multiple sizes of material, which generates different sizes of cracks and crevices because each fish, each species of fish needs its own size, crack and or crevice, which varies as it grows. So you need to provide these graduated stepping stones of habitat, material size, crack and crevice for these fish as they move through their life stages. So the whole damn thing is reefed. Well, I guess my, I I didn't mean to ask it like that.
0: For, For someone that can't understand the scale of it, how... How how much space has been in, in yeah, terms uh, of an acre? You know, sixteen hundred acres is a big space. a big space. It's hard to visualize
1: what that looks like in reference to anything. Okay, so um, it's larger than the city limits of South Padre Island. It's um, you, you know, it's it's almost three square miles, and you know, we have put down a lot of material there. We're really efficient because we use materials of opportunity. Um, and and we get just about everything donated except marine transport. Um, so right now it's about eleven thousand tons of material, and if you, but it's 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 scattered and diffuse. We can put a lot more material in it. But to give you an idea of how much of the actual bottom is covered by these uh, patch reefs, so let's say eleven thousand divided by twenty. So 550 diesel semi truckloads of material. That's what's on the bottom. Um, For example, my next project is I want to about double the carrying capacity of my nursery reef. And so we've uh, carved out 400 acres in the northeast corner of the the reef that we're going to call the CCA nursery. And I'm going to put down 54 patch reefs in that area. And each one of them will have 25 tons of broken concrete, uh, 25 tons of concrete railroad ties. They're three to a ton, so that means there'll be 75 railroad ties. There'll be five, six uh, pallets of cinder blocks. Juvenile fish love cinder blocks because they can get in them and hide from predators. Y'all got a really cool them.
0: video that, that shows just that, where the, <laughs> where the predators, the jacks come in and all the snapper just go back down to the cinder blocks. It's, it's
1: amazing. Well, go to uh, rgvreef.com and, <laughs> and, see, and see that video. So that'll make 54 patches. It'll be a grand total of about 2,500 tons of material. It'll cover uh, 400 acres, um, and I'm hoping that it will provide habitat for another quarter of a million baby snapper. That's a lot of, of, of fish.
0: So when, uh, the site was, when the site was permanent in 2016— Yes, late 2016. Late, you mentioned that? How difficult was the process prior to that from an, the idea and the inception to actual getting it permitted? And just kind of go into as much detail, as little as you want. But that's a, that's that's one of the holdups and one of the issues with um, artificial reefing is and one of the more difficult parts of it is getting actual permit, from what I understand.
1: Well, yeah, it is. Um, first off, you've got to convince um, Texas Parks and Wildlife to go to the trouble and the expense. Uh, you know, they spent seventy grand getting the permit. Um, it took 16, 18 months, and I'm a fabulous pesterer. I, I pass subdivision plats for a living, which means I know how to stand and deliver for people that don't like me, want me to go away, and would prefer to ignore me. and um so we brought that to the process you know to get a permit you've got to first get texas parks and wildlife to think that you should have one then you need to chum up the stakeholders and of course we we really chummed up the stakeholders because we knew that we had to we even got the texas shrimpers association to agree that it'd be a good idea for us to take two and a half square miles of their shrimping grounds grounds, because they wanted a good place to fish too um the uh then you have to get a permit from the Texas Historical Commission, the Texas Archaeological Commission, and when they pulled the magnetometer over our site, right in the middle of it, is the uh, is a magnetometered an anomaly that looks to them like a ship that was sunk around the time of the Civil War. And so we've got this spot that we're not going to put any concrete on top of Jean Lafitte's boat. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to get an OK from the uh, from the port from the New Orleans. Coast Guard, and you've got to talk to them about how many buoys that you've got to put on it, which the buoys are horrifically expensive to main, to put down and maintain, uh, how much clearance you're going to get, and we we, we we are able to place material up to within 30 feet of the surface. Now, a lot of these rigs to reef rigs, well, the Coasties make make them cut these rigs off at 90 feet from the surface, and that's just sinful to, to waste that much vertical relief Yeah um and then you've got to go to the general land office and and they are going to lease you the bottom and they originally wanted to nick us ninety nine thousand dollars for our bottom lease and this is when we didn't have two nickels to rub together so we had to talk them out of that um and and so uh, um yeah you know the four of us that are our, our friends of RGV Reef are all entrepreneurs. We're all persistent as hell. We're all used to getting stuff done. Um, and we all have a modicum of intelligence, but mostly what's made RGV Reef successful is persistence. That's the difference is we're persistent. And and you guys
0: had this first this idea when? What, what year was the concept
1: born? Oh, in 2014, my brother and I, uh, we had been, just spent our our youths offshore, and about age 30, both of us figured out that we were not going to be able to have reasonable lives as commercial fishermen and charter boat captains, and went off and got lives, you know, went out, did our, did our husband, father, mother, sister, brother, did our family gig, and made enough money that... And my brother continued. We both continued to fish offshore a little bit. Um, But we got serious about it again in in about 2013. And it was readily apparent to us that there was inadequate hard substrate reef, especially in state waters. And we thought we'd try to do something about it. And just about everything that we wanted to do was going to be a felony. And so that's when we got this wild idea to try to get a permit. And that was the inception of RGV Reef. So how did it go from the idea of a reef to the the size of it? Oh well, that was that's all about making a nursery. You know, most Texas reefs are eighty acres or one hundred and sixty acres, mm-hmm. and so um, we very promptly were willing to give up make a good place to fish to to, to um, place our energies behind. Let's put fish back in the Gulf. So if we were only going to get this little. 80 acres or or maybe maybe 160 acres you know all these juvenile uh red snapper are are driven northward by the wind driven current and as they're being driven along they can hear reefs just the same way we can hear the wind in the trees and so at some point they they leave the surface waters and swim to the bottom which is called recruiting. Of course, if they're out in the middle of the Sigby Deep, they're hosed. There's nothing there. They swim to the bottom and die. Yeah. Um, but so we said, well, give, just give us this little thing that's, that's, that's 200 feet wide and, and uh, top north to south and, and a couple of miles wide. And, and we'll string this nursery reef out and we'll catch all these babies and we'll hold them long enough to, to get... Um, to get to be, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12 inches long on the material that we put down. And then, and then they can go on because that's where the mortality rates, the mortality rates, the numerical mortality rates on juvenile snapper are such that not only do none ever live, if you look at the numbers, not only do <laughs> none ever live, but, but, but 20% of what was 120% of what was born dies. I mean, only it's a miracle it, that they make it to this, up. yeah that's right. Yeah. So and, and and when you give a little fish like that a rock you've you've made an enormous difference in its in its survivability because that little fish needs that rock a as a place to dodge around to avoid a faster straight line predator it needs a place to uh ambush its prey it needs a place to get out of the current and turn food into body mass and um it needs an address, just like we know, okay, you go down two blocks and then take a left and you're at the Seven Eleven, 11 and you can get a hot dog. Okay, well, these fish know, oh, okay, I can swim this distance and this bearing and that's a place where there's more tunicates and a few more worms. So it gives them an address to work from. The other thing that happens is if, if the rock that the fish is behind has sharp corners, it'll generate vortices in the water, little tornadoes. Mm-hmm. Those little tornadoes will pull organic matter out of the water column and make just a very slightly more organic material on the Bottom, which turns that bottom from a flat, sandy, nothing desert into a place where maybe some marine invertebrates or, uh, or crustaceans can live and fish like worms and shrimp. So you turn a desert into an oasis when you put a piece of hard substrate on the bottom that is the right size for a fish. And in so doing, you make that 99.99999% mortality rate maybe be 98 but that difference when you've got an eight-year-old mama snapper coughing up 50 million eggs, if you can save a tenth of a percent of those, you cough up a pretty good bunch of fish. And we sure enough have had a very nice bunch of fish on our GV reef. We've we've grown those 240,000 uh, settlement recruits into catchable size fish, and you know, you can you can attract some fish from elsewhere, and we we do have really fabulous habitat there. And so some of the larger fish are migrating into the area. But, you know, if you look at the, the scientific papers, really only about 20% of the snapper will move anything more than about 5 kilometers in 23 months. That's just some numbers I'm pulling out of a, a paper that I remember. And so, you know, if you... You can get some fish. You can attract fish from elsewhere, and we see that when we see the catches. We see it's about 20% big fish that came from elsewhere and about 80% fish that we've grown. Um, you can put up a monoculture of high-relief reef, and you'll get those 20% of fish from elsewhere, but 20% of fish is not very much, and elsewhere is short of fish, tell,
0: tell the listener what monoculture versus complex culture is.
1: Okay, so a monoculture is where you have only one thing, like a cornfield is a monoculture. Deer like corn, but you can't grow deer in a cornfield. The idea that 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 our wild animals need complex, varied habitats and space, and that their habitat limited is well established on land. Everybody knows that without even thinking about it. But the idea that, that the same is true for the fish on the continental shelf um, is fairly well established among among marine biologists, but nobody else has really put that two and two together. It's absolutely not a part of reefing protocol. I mean, everybody's building monocultures. Let's put down 1600 reefing pyramids. Well, 1600 reefing pyramids is nice. A reefing pyramid is a, is a pyramid shaped device that that's 10 foot square at the bottom, eight feet tall, weighs about 2,500 pounds. And it's a nice one rung in the habitat ladder. It's got a huge hole in the middle of it. So a turtle can get out of it too. That's right. Um, (laughs) But that one rung in the habitat ladder can only attract fish that have been grown elsewhere. And as, I, as we all it's know. It's not the nursery component. It's, it's not just... the nursery component. So what, what, we're do, what we do at RGV Reef, what we do, A, is hard. Okay? And that means that you really got to have a damn good reason to do it if you're going to be persistent at something that is hard and that takes a big chunk of your life. So all of us had this joyous youth offshore and we caught a lot of fish and we went scuba diving and we it just had a fabulous time it was freedom we could go where we wanted to go it was great we of course had no way to give back at that time we got a way to get back now okay what all of us are driven is by is that maybe a kid in a in a boat that mom and pop can afford to take them out in which means they can't go very frequently which means they're not you know, die hard, I know exactly how to do this, fishermen, they're simple fishermen, that a kid can go and catch, which is getting to be very difficult. If you want a kid to go and catch, you've got to have stupid fish. You can't have these smart fish that have seen it all and that you have to use a, an 8-odd uh, tiny hook and a, and a four carbon leader and you have to chum exactly right. You have to have dumb fish, and if you want to have dumb fish, you have to have lots of fish. If you want to have lots of fish, you can't attract them from elsewhere. You've got to grow them. That's the mantra for RGV Reef in a nutshell. If you want to grow fish, you can't have a monoculture. You're going to have to provide that complex habitat that carries multiple species of fish, the entire food web from the bottom up through all of its life stages up to the apex predators. So how do you build a complex habitat? What are the components of that? Well, you make a virtue out of necessity. You know... Parks and Wildlife thought that RGB Reef was going to take decades to fill and twenty or thirty million dollars. Well, we knew we were not going to raise twenty or thirty million dollars, and I'm sixty-five. I'll be dead by then. I'm not going to wait that long. Um, so we started asking, and we called the local General Contractors Association and uh, started asking them for, you know, waste concrete. You know, don't pay to don't pay to uh, dispose of that in a hole in the ground. Bring it to us, and we'll put it in the reef and and the we were incredibly lucky that we had the Port of Brownsville. The Port of Brownsville gave us deep water port frontage with a rail siding. And they you know, that's just incredibly powerful thing to have, especially later on when we started getting um, uh, recycled concrete railroad ties. So the low relief is small pieces of broken concrete and cinder blocks, in these 90 to 120 foot in diameter patches that are maybe, maybe a foot and a half tall in the middle. You don't want to make them big enough that you chum up a bunch of big fish because when the little fish swim over to the big reef, mm-hmm. we know the answer to that. Yeah. The, the big fish eat them. Um, it's just the slightest contour change in the
0: in, in the bottom contour with hard structure. So all the tunicates and, the, you know, the, you have substrate for those encrusting organisms to,
1: that's to right. grow on. And you've got, Places to get out of the current, places to hide from the predators. Um, and then um, we actually do have uh, some pyramids in the roof. We bought 50 pyramids from Tom Hilton, who makes a fabulous pyramid. And um, then in eighteen, uh, Parks and Wildlife and the GLO had put together a grant for $800,000, and they uh, put 250 pyramids and 250 low-relief uh, nursery modules, which, by the way, those are the very first uh, commercial nursery Modules ever, which is a square-shaped yeah. concrete structure with shells blocks and, and shells, shells and cinder blocks and rocks in it.
0: It's it's like a pad you're yeah. laying down, mm-hmm. right?
1: Um, which reminds me that I hadn't talked about. So, RCV Reef is also the first industrial-scale nursery reef in the Gulf of Mexico, which I'm certain of that. The biologists tell me it's the first in the world, which I find hard to believe. Um, and then we're back to how do you build that complex habitat? So you use materials of opportunities. I mean, we got great big 10-foot square bridge culverts and uh, uh, box culverts, and we uh, have highway dividers. They're too heavy, so we had to cut them into <laughs> – I mean, they're 1,000 they They're a thousand pounds a foot. These were big ones, and so, so the, the biggest piece that we could do was uh, 8 feet long and – We got broken concrete and sidewalks, and that worked pretty good. Oh, we also had 600 tons of concrete roofing tile for the really tiny fish that we put down in 17, but we really shifted into a whole nother gear when the Burlington Northern and Santa Fe Railway approached Texas Parks and Wildlife about reefing their worn out concrete railroad ties. and. Concrete railroad ties are a really fabulous material. They're an enormous pain in the old nogus to deal with, and we had all the pieces to to deal with concrete railroad ties. And um, so, last year we put down seven thousand tons of them. And if I can raise the money, I'm going to put down twenty thousand tons in 2019 in two different deployments. Um, so you know we've got. We've got piles that are as few as 75 ties, and I've got a pile of 12,000 ties that's uh, 32 feet tall. It comes up to within 40 feet of the bottom. The biologists tell me that it is wedging nutrient-rich water up off the bottom and has a Uh, permanent plankton bloom down (laughs) current of it. The encrusting organisms, the the algae, of course, it's up in the photic zone, so there's sunlight and there's algae and there's a lot of herbivores are there. That plankton bloom feeds um, menhaden and there's a a permanent school of menhaden, a big permanent school of menhaden that live there. there. Um, Of course, there's um, uh, amberjack and mangrove snapper and red snapper and all of the other... Triggerfish, um, trigger fish, vermilion snapper, lane snapper, um, uh, Bermuda chubs. It's, it's this fabulous knuckle in the ocean. And, and I intend to put another 1500 tons of there because I can build up to 45 feet tall. And so, you know, you, you, are trying to, trying to generate habitat for all the different sizes and species. Um, and besides marine, marine biologists best practice, if you pay attention to what mother nature has shown us are the most productive natural reefs, well, they're the exact same thing the biologists are saying. So that's a nice confirmation because what we're trying to do has never been done before. There is no little black book with yellow stripes that is low relief or nursery reef or complex habitat reef building for dummies. And so, you know, you, you, you know, we, Chatter like monkeys with all of the hotshot biologists, and they're all interested because they're all pretty think it's pretty cool because nobody else pays any attention to them. <laughs> At least nobody else that'll actually put their money up and build what they say. Yeah. And but still, it's nice to have that confirmation from Mother Nature that you're on the right track.
0: You you listen all the li- you lists all these materials of opportunity: highway dividers, concrete railroad ties, cinder blocks. So when I'm driving or traveling anywhere, when I'm outside, I'm looking at things now. Uh, and I'm like, oh, that would be really cool for an artificial reef. Oh, look at that. I think that would work too. So th- there are likely people that listen to this or that, that you deal with that work in industry and might have a material of opportunity out there. What what advice would you give someone on, um, how they can help with why this project or one, uh, off another port of Texas North coast.
1: Well, our industrial partners have pulled our cookies out of the fire. A brought us material. B helped us load and unload it. C broken the <laughs> broken the 30 foot long, uh, <laughs> highway dividers into pieces that we could manipulate. B uh, helped us harden our site so that we could continue to load in the rain, um, but, you know, in our area, it's, oh, well, I can bring those materials to RGV Reef. And even if the transport costs me a little bit, Friends of RGV Reef is a 501c3, they can, they can write me write. a donation receipt. Okay. So there is no similar critter, except I believe that the Sabine is, is trying to. There's a friends
0: group for Sabine. Yeah. yeah. Is
1: trying to do the same thing. And I visited with them and, and, um, you know, tried to share what little that we know with them so that they can be successful too. You know, a big part of this gig for the founders is that um, there's a ton of reef up the coast that could be made into nursery reef. There's, you know, RGV reef, 1,650 acres. There's a grand total of about 3,500 acres, maybe pushing 4,000. There are all these 80 and 160 acre reefs up the coast that could be made more productive fishing reefs if they were more complex. In other words, if they had cinder blocks and or broken concrete in them because you generate more of a food web. I mean, it's, it's really well established in the, in the literature that if you increase species, if you increase complexity, you increase species richness and total biomass. That means more kinds of fish and more fish. So spreading that word to make reefs more complex mm-hmm. up the coast is something that we would like to do. Um, I've gotten off on some tangent now. I can't remember how to get back to the the, path.
0: Yeah. (laughs) uh, Industry partners. And there may be some further up the coast that would want to work with you or want to work with another, uh, reefing site. And so highlight who your industry partners are, and that might get folks will spinning on potential partners further
1: up the coast. The, um, so our industry partners, our close-at-hand industry partners are the Port of Brownsville um, that, that give us this site that is incredibly powerful for $1, another valuable consideration. You know, I do not know how much longer they're going to be able to do that because when you talk about when you talk about the other industries there that, oh, well, we're going to build a, uh, a liquefied natural gas plant here, mm-hmm. and we're going to spend $9,000 million. Dollars, How long are they going to be able to put up with us? <laughs> yeah. but so far they will, and we 're so grateful um, but th- having that site is incredibly powerful and then there's there 's uh, foremost paving it has brought us material and helped us when we needed help with our site and EMR international shipbreaking has helped us unload material when it comes and move it around on our yard um, the uh, Embridge, which is the cross pipeline, pipeline, uh, funded us to, to the tune of $250,000, which was a, a huge uh, bump for us and, and helped us. You know, we, we have been growing almost logarithmically, which is exceptionally difficult to grow any business because you need working capital to grow. And when you get a big bump like that, it really helps you to step up from, you know, little piddly things to much bigger things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we're we're fixing to bring in a 170-foot dynamic positioning vessel that they're going to cut the stern off of and change the stern so they can push material off the back. And that vessel can uh, carry 500 tons at a time instead of 200 tons. Um, That's the kind of thing that when you have a partner that actually gives you money that it allows you to do but but when you have these these people that donate um uh sarah and john tippett our our attorneys that that set up our 501c3 um we, i've got curtis hayungs that does all of our web stuff and puts together video and and takes care of of our our website and um i've already mentioned dmr um you know, it, it helps when the local politicians um, like you and tell other people about you. The local fishing tournament, the Texas International Fishing Tournament, has funded us. Um, it's taken us several years to get the city of South Padre Island to really understand and start funding us. Their their Economic Development Corporation caught on right away and dug really deep. And, and their Convention Center and Visitors Bureau is... Um, coming right along and they're both going to fund us this coming year part of the reason that i'm going to be able to put down 40 million pounds of concrete this coming year is because the city has figured out that um you know people will go a long way for unsophisticated fish when i was little my father and my uncle shoot they drug us 250 miles into Mexico and down the cilia Beach at, at uh, the Laguna de Tamiagua and, and across these uh, these rivers where the lagoon went out into the, to the Gulf of Mexico and we launched a boat through the surf because there was <laughs> supposed to be stupid fish there. People will go a long way for stupid fish. And the city cares that when they get there that they sit on oh, a bar stool yeah. and put their head on a bed. And, you know, we've got a study that says that we are going to, make $6 million total economic impact, and put 574 people to work. Now, we don't care about any of that. We care about the kid that's going to catch a fish. Yeah, But that's how you sell it, and that's how you get a municipal partner. You get the industrial partners when they drink the Kool-Aid. They're just like you and me. These are guys that grew up hunting and fishing and have a soft place in their heart and understand, especially if they're old salts, how the fish stock is so – tremendously depleted and they want to do something about it and here we've got this incredibly efficient way to put fish back in the gulf as long as you don't care who catches them it's netless aquaculture you don't have to open the feed bag you don't have to mend a net all you do is put down the habitat it generates a food web all the fish on the continental shelf evolved to be more efficient in the presence of hard substrate reef there's only 1.6 percent of the bottom that's hard substrate reef let's give them what they need and you guys are about to be recognized for what you've done so far by Texan by Nature. My whole life, whenever anything went wrong, they would say, you're responsible. <laughs> do you recognize what you did? Well, now it's uh, coming full circle. So, yes, the Texan by Nature uh, is Laura Bush's foundation, and they select uh, six conservation groups to, I guess, shine up a little bit and present to <laughs> industry. And, you know, they, they've been helping us with the rough edges and— with our rough edges, and um, that's going to happen, you know, this is early November, that's going to happen on November, lucky November 13. Yeah. And then um, I'm also, we're also uh, starting to get some traction in the EarthX group, which is Trammell Crow's gig in Dallas. Um, and so that's another set of introductions. And, you know, I really, I really need help to follow up on all of the contacts that we're going to get. You know, we all have day jobs, hard day jobs. Yeah. And I'm already starting to see that I'm not able to give enough attention to all of these, um, to all of these contacts. And I, I'm going to hire somebody to help me chase that money. So we, we went last year and I'm going to go again this year. Cause I want to see,
0: um, you guys get honored. A couple of us will be there. Um, but you're right. You, it's, a, it's a great networking opportunity, and it puts you in touch with but other. Doesn't other do you boys. any
1: good if you can't follow it up.
0: That's true. That's true. I think that I think that with you, what you guys have done and, and will, are going to continue to do, will attract people, and is desirable enough that even, even though you may not have the manpower to follow up on every contact, I think they're they're going to be instigating that follow up. Um, but I, no, I, it's short yeah. attention span theater. If you don't follow yeah. up,
1: if you don't, you know, you can't get if you don't ask. And one time is not enough times to ask. Well, I think I think that Texan by
0: nature, um, to an extent, will help. From my experience this past year, they will help you to as much as they can to help maintain those relationships and contacts.
1: But I hear you. If anyone's listening, Gary Glick may be hiring soon. But so. well, what I'd really like to fight again is somebody like us, smart enough to get the job done, stupid enough to volunteer. Um, but I'm also uh, this is this is important enough that I'm also willing to, to I, I think to pay for this for a while because I'm going to have that bunch of people to follow up on, and then a whole another bunch in Dallas. Um, and right now we we have all these we've what we do. The reason we're efficient is because. We get so much stuff donated, but that means that everything instead of you know here's my money, give it to me. It's oh gee whiz, do you know anybody that might be able to find it within their heart to loan us an extended reach forklift for three years? Like Murray Megason, what a sweetheart! Um, and so it's kind of like as this as as friends of our Reef and our project grows, it's kind of like we're balancing this pyramid on its apex, and there's only so long you can get so long that you can do that and so while we've got all of these pieces working we want to really strike while iron is hot and you know if we've already got more material in rgv reef than there is in the biologists are telling me than any other reef in the the state of texas and 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 i'm gonna i want to triple it in a year and i'd like to do that again next year and time is really short i know from watching all kinds of deals that when they get to be very complex and they get to have lots of moving parts, they, they either become less efficient or they grind to a halt or you drop a piece of it and possibly the whole deal will blow up in your face. You know, all I have to do is lose my spot at the Port of Brownsville and, and and I'm done or at least I'm really crippled. And so as long as those guys are willing to let me continue to have that site, man, I want to move yeah, you capitalize material. You bet.
0: So I'll switch gears a little bit in the conversation because I wanted to ask if you have any thoughts on um, the launch of fleet that continues to come up the coast from Mexico into Texas waters. And have you seen the effects of that
1: on your reef? Oh, yeah. And it's particularly bad. They <laughs> So here's the takeaway from the launch of fleet. There's, there's a couple things. First off, by the coasties numbers. It's more than 2,500 entries into the Gulf of Mexico. Those that's bo- what they're detecting. That's what they can detect. Right. Okay. And, and we're going to get around to how they detected it and, and why we need their aerostat balloon back really bad. Yeah. Each one of those launches, when they catch them, they got a ton of snapper on board. That 2,500 tons... Is the recreational take for the Western Gulf of Mexico? Okay, these are bad boys, um, and it's gotten much worse in the last three or four years. They um, got real tight on the border, and so uh, uh, on the river, and so a lot of that trade got pushed out onto uh, the Gulf of Mexico, and um, so we've got guys that are um, funding these snapper fishermen, a because they can then go be snapper fishermen. And then they've got this um, little mosquito fleet that they can use to move people and drugs. And um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Well, we're talking about the total take. Yeah, the total take. The And well, the effects on the reef. And the effects if, on the reef. If, if so it. there are several natural reefs, like the East Banks. Even five years ago, the East Banks was pretty healthy and had a lot of fish on it. It's stripped. The um, uh, There were many fewer fish on... Uh, Seabree Reef this summer They're and and these guys are are coming in at night and going pretty far up the coast Um, there we see long lines uh, across all of the the not only the the reef but also you know when snapper get to be more than eight years old they're not so subject to predation and they move out onto the flats in in 25 to 35 and 40 fathoms and they're and they're feeding out on those flats well these guys are dropping um long lines across the flats now in the eighties before the stateside commercial snapper fishermen were well regulated they were taking those breeders and and that's what they are those they call them sow snapper and that's because they are big old females Mm -hmm. and that is where by far and away the majority of the spawn comes from is from those old fish out on the flats and so when these guys pull two thousand pounds of breeding snapper off the flats they have done us serious damage now I have talked to all of the guys that are involved in enforcement uh, in the Brownsville and Corpus area, and I'm saying, okay, I'm going to go to the politicians and try to get you help. What do you want? And to a man, they say, bring back the Aerostat balloon. So Customs and Border Protection had an Aerostat balloon down there for a while, uh, got blown down in a a squall. They, They got another envelope. They put it back up again. That's how they were detecting those 2,000 entries. They need that balloon so that they can go find and catch those guys. That's the piece that, if anybody can whisper in somebody's ear at Customs and Border Protection, or if somebody can um, pester their local U.S. rep for something to to increase this, you know, this is we're talking about big money too. We're not just yeah. talking about about increasing recreational and commercial snapper fishing. We're talking about probably. That bunch of fish is probably worth the same amount as the recreational takeoff Alabama, which has 2.7% of the Gulf Coast and catches about 40% of the eastern Gulf recreational take. I've, I've seen estimates uh,
0: presented by the Coast Guard for um, poundage from the launch of fleet, which is underestimated because they de- this is just what they're detecting. And we just talked about why they're not detecting the total amount. Anywhere from 500,000 to 750,000 pounds of red snapper taken out of Texas waters and international water, or from uh, U.S. waters. From How many? 500 to 750,000 pounds. They're off by a factor of 10. That's what they, that's what they said that we were detecting. Not so there's an amount that we know that's undetected. But what you're saying is that what they're taking is the total recreational
1: allocation. Yeah, I just the run, the, run the numbers really quick. 2,500 times 2,000 is 5 million pounds. So the economic impact of that is big, too. When you start talking to politicians, if you're going to try to get them to do something, you tell them, hey, they're they're pulling, okay, so what's a red snapper filet worth? Okay, well, a whole red snapper on the dock is worth 4 or $5 a pound, so there's $20 million economic impact. If you were going to turn that into how much is the economic impact from recreational snapper fishermen, it gets into the, well— 50 60 70 million dollars worth of economic economic impact and we can we can smell test that number because it's very close to the very well studied alabama reef which is year in year out and has been forever 50 60 million dollars total economic impact so yeah we need the aerostat balloon um friends of rgv reef went to bat uh in the last legislature, and got the Texas budget changed to get Captain Dunks a new patrol boat because his old patrol boat was dangerous. Yeah, when yeah. we were little, uh, we we really we and, really and they, go ahead. I think they're they're that's the big vessel, right? You yeah, about the, the 60 Captain Williams, or, the or Captain Williams, which is a, a an old crew boat. Yeah, they're fix- set to receive that. Well, he's fixing to get a new boat, which is a um, it's not that big. It's like fifty or sixty foot long. A uh, catamaran with a pair of CXC eighteen caterpillars in it, and it'll sling a fast uh, RIB. That's the the, um, uh, the inflatable boat. mm-hmm. outside boats. It'll sling and carry a fast boat with it, so he can catch. He can go out and spend the two or three or four days out there, and then when he sees a launcher, he's got a boat that's fast enough to catch it. Yeah. So we're pretty excited about that.
0: No, that's going to be a good addition to their to their um, resources. That that they do have. We were set to go down there in October, in October, September, but we got blown out. I think we're going to try to go back in December or January to do a ride along, to do a feature on the launch of fleet and help just try to highlight the problem
1: that's that that it is. Come in January, and you can also see the um, dry tortugas uh, carrying railroad ties out and deploying railroad ties. Okay, okay. That's that's when that's scheduled and building the nursery reef. Yeah, a lot of people don't
0: realize that those fish that are being caught down there are going across the border, coming into backdoor sales in Houston, Austin, Dallas, all these restaurants, and everyone that loves to eat red snapper in a restaurant, Um, you very well might be supporting the illegal fishery off of uh, Texas. If it's not certified Gulf uh, seafood, then it could be coming uh, from down south illegally. A a lot
1: of it does. and A lot of it does. And, you know... I'm from the Rio Grande Valley. You know, I I talk to the guys. You know, they see it coming across the bridge. The Border Patrol guys see that see that fish coming across the river. Okay, so Dr. Klein uh, put clicker tags with um, which which are little noise making tags, and and put out data loggers at the Liberty Ship Reef, which is about twenty two or twenty three miles north of the international border. It's between South Padre Island and and um, Port Mansfield about 4 or 5 years ago and he um I think he had 25 tags and he got 7 of them back from Matt <laughs> <laughs> He tagged 25 fish and he got 7 tag returns from Matt Morris. There you go. Yeah. That that tells you where those That's fish are going. Yeah. That's a pretty high percentage actually. A <laughs> <laughs> stupid high percentage actually. You feel free to mention anything that you want to
0: well, throw out there. Well,
1: of, of course, I'm going to pester for, uh, for money. We're about 10 times as efficient as a normal reefing contract in putting material down. We're a 501c3. We can write a uh, donation receipt. Um, Why are you 10 times more efficient? Because of all the donated material and because uh, of really fabulous uh, uh, management. But just to give you an example... <laughs> Well, you know we're it's four guys that are entrepreneurs in really no, hard businesses. I, I like you. It. You and and we grew up on ranches and farms. And you are either efficient or you go broke. Yeah. Um. Well, for example, the the Texas Parks and Wildlife GLOs, uh, two hundred and fifty reefing uh, pyramids, two hundred and fifty reefing modules. Each one of those weighed about three tons, and actually they weigh a little bit less than that. But we'll use three tons. So that's seven hundred and fifty tons. And um, they spent $800,000, and they put out 750 tons of material. I just looked at our audited financial statements. In that same time period, we put out 7,000 tons of material and spent $428,000. So eight hundred grand for 750 tons or $428,000 for 7,000 tons. This is part of why people are willing to give us money. We yeah. get the job done.
0: The state is as efficient as the state can possibly – they're not as efficient as they could be, but they do the
1: best that they can. Well, okay, so it's the, the state used to be much more efficient. They used to use materials of opportunity. They held the lawyers at bay. Um, the Their contracts are um, very difficult to comply with, and yeah. so people build a risk premium in – to those contracts which makes them expensive the, if like the guys that can really and this is the way these contracts are structured the guys that are building the material and the guys that are using running the boats to take the stuff out can't meet the bonding requirements so they have to go to a large offshore construction company which nicks them 25 or 35 percent just to sign their name to 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 get the bonding done and so and then you know they're using brand new material and they have to buy a very expensive dock space and you know the coasties are are running all of the boats and the people that have been doing this for decades they're running them out of business because their boats won't meet this uh the standards that a boat is supposed to meet to be uh, a cargo carrier which you know this is really a different kettle of fish but you know, the coasties are what the coasties are. So all of this stuff gets more and more and more and more and more expensive as time goes by. Um, You know, we're nimble as hell. We have a free site. We get almost free material. uh, And we're stingy. I'm a child of a child of the Depression. That makes you tight. Who are the other two? You and your brother. Who are the other two? Well, it's my brother, Bob Glick and I, and um, Daniel Bryant, who is a huge contributor of time, energy, and uh, managerial expertise. He's the guy that keeps – I mean, we've had 253 rail cars show up on a little uh, rickety three-car – siding over the last year and a half and he's gotten them all unloaded and the material moved and the car's back out on the switch before we get a parking ticket which is called demurrage and let me tell you it's not $2.50 in an envelope it's $150 a day per car um, So the port's like you can have the space but get the stuff out of here quick the who, port- who is, who Okay is- so the port is the port but the rail group the Brownsville Rail Group is okay. a for-profit um, rail uh, company and they and actually they have have uh they're another partner they have helped us a whole bunch um and have been pretty generous about not nicking us for that parking place which is called demurrage, but the reason that they're not nicking us is because we're not being bad actors, you know we really turn triple backflips to get the get those cars moved, and then when we get in a bad bind e m r international shipbreaking another one of the businesses down the port that actually is is a shipbreaker. they have they help us when we get in a pinch um and so history. so the fourth the fourth uh person is um uh, curtis hayoung's and there's really a fifth and he's not he's not really one of the friends of RGV reef but especially early in the gig this guy's given hours and hours and hours of expertise and that's dr richard klein who's the head of the Marine Biology Department down at University of Texas in the Rio Grande Valley. And he's everything that you would ever want a marine biologist to be. Um, he's fabulous. He's not very good at raising money, though, which is a real shame. <laughs> We're, no, it's a real shame because because just about the time that we got going, Riggs to Reef died. Uh, when, when oil prices went in the toilet, Riggs to Reef died. That was in about... 11 or 12 yeah about 12 and that was the money that had been paying for the the marine research that dr klein had been doing that allowed him to see that we needed the nursery reef Mm -hmm. so now that we're we've established this reef and boy let me tell you what we put it down in ways that you could do scientific research with it with a with enough iterations that you could draw statistically significant um uh conclusions and but there's no money to go study it. I don't know how much I've bumped the juvenile survivability of red snapper. I know that I have, but I don't know how much I don't know how many dollars that I have put back into the Gulf of Mexico, which some funders really want to know that what's the return on investment of, 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 uh, of my donation. Let me tell you, you want to get money out of cities. You better be ready to answer that question. Um, Because they don't have research money, and and I'm stingy enough that I'm not willing to give Dr. Klein the money that I've raised because I'm so desperate to put material in the water because that's the piece. I I just that's the piece that's got to be
0: done first. It's like any 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 other field of research. He's in a highly and it's highly competitive for the limited funds that are available for marine fishery science research. So um, yeah, he's got a tough sell, especially if a group like NOAA's is involved with anything because mm-hmm. uh, they seem to uh, be obstacles in a lot of these uh, reefing projects.
1: The other research partner that we have is when Embridge funded us, uh, 250 grand, they funded the heart research Institute, um, a hundred. And so far the, the heart Institute has come down and, and done some, done one, one day of surveying on the reef. Um, but they're another avenue for, um, for research for us the the problem is is that to really answer those questions about um about juvenile survivability you've got to spend some time underwater over time and it gets expensive and so you know you can answer that question it's a quarter of a million dollars am i going to build a reef or am i going to answer the insurance the 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 science question i'm going to build the reef yeah i mean I do have the book. I wrote the damn book, <laughs> the, "The Reef Building for Dummies," and I know that the piece that I need to do is even if it isn't the most effective way to build that 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 reef, I know it's effective enough to put a whole bunch of fish on the reef. I mean, we we, we watched these two hundred and fifty thousand juveniles grow up and get caught since two
0: thousand seventeen. Well, like you mentioned, you you have a window of opportunity and. In- The getting is good, so we need to get it right. That's right. Yeah, I understand. Anything else you want to cover? I mean, we we're so we're we're really proud to be a a partner CCA. That is proud to be a partner. CCA is
1: our CCA is unbelievably critical to our organization, and Texas anglers generally are are really lucky to have an organization that can can raise money, be nimble, um, be active politically on the political side of it and be active on the habitat side, CCA grasped the habitat uh, part of the equation of reef building instantly and then funded it when nobody else would give us a stinking nickel. So we really love the CCA. <laughs> you know, it was CCA and, and one of our private donors, Max Nichols, uh, and that's, that's what kicked us off. Well, it doesn't hurt to ask and keep asking. You yeah. Know, and so um, one of the things that I was going to say, you say, okay, so for industry partners, I was going to say, and the answer to that is find somebody with, um, uh, with, that's a 501c3 that can write a donation receipt. Well, there's nobody else up the coast. Oh, maybe SEA and Corpus. Yeah. Um, they have been pretty quiescent since they sank the Kinta. Um the, uh, we're going to start working up the coast. I'm about to have a contract with uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife to put 1,000 tons of of uh, concrete uh, railroad ties in the Corpus Reef. While I'm up there, I'm going to donate another 500 tons uh, in small patch reefs so the Hart Institute can study them. Um, but, you know, uh, we, if, if we can continue to add complexity um, to some of these reefs up the coast will all benefit um, because they will become more productive. not only will they make baby fish but they'll also generate the food to support more large fish on that high relief structure you know you you can only you can only feed so many fish um and and if you if you don't if you don't feed them, you make this huge prey desert around a monoculture reef and then the fish have to leave cuz there's no food. Mm-hmm. So f- feed the fish.
0: Friends of RGV Reef folks. Oh, if they want to you mentioned the website friends of No, it's just rgvreef.com. RGV okay.
1: Rgref. Our 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 um Facebook pages friends of rgv reef. Okay. But our website is rgvreef.com
0: and the coordinates are there. Yes. And they're on Parks and Wildlife's website as
1: well. Yeah, I think the, they may be on ours too. The very well, the very best reef map to show you all of these multitude of sites is Tom Hilton's map that's on Atlantis, Atlantis Marine Habitats, uh, which there's a link to that on the Friends of uh, the RGV Reef dot com site. And if you, it doesn't work on a mobile device, but on your regular computer, you can hover a cursor over each one of the uh, of the little patches, and there's two hundred or or so patch reefs there, and it'll give you, the, give you the the coordinates. So I would recommend that folks look at that feature
0: and certainly like their page. Uh, I became a fan of the page. I love the videos and the pictures that Curtis has done and stuff on the website. It's fantastic. So kudos to Curtis for that work. Yeah, we're really lucky um, to have Curtis. No, he's great. I appreciate this.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for Thank giving you. me the chance to no, chatter.
0: No, this is, this is good, and uh, if folks want to reach you personally, is, is there message, message
1: message me on uh, Facebook? Okay, and I'll give you my phone number and we chatter like monkeys. Gary Glick, friends of RGB, RGB Reef. Thank, Thank you, you Shane. Appreciate it.